Welcome to season three of Motivate Me. We invite you to travel the 50 states in 90 days as we interview people about their passion. Why? In order to inspire you to live a life that's more exciting or more meaningful. This is Motivate Me, and I'm Lynette Renda. So we are in New Haven, Connecticut, and I am speaking to Assistant Principal Nicholas Perrone. Mm -hmm. I just want to thank you so much, Vice Principal Perrone, for meeting with me today and um, spending some time with the Motivate Me crew. You know we're on a 50-state tour, and this is our last stop, State mm -hmm. 50. So I'm really interested because, you know, I know you're an Assistant Principal, and I was a high school English teacher for 12 years, mm -hmm. and I, I'm really looking forward to hearing about what your passion is and kind of how you're going about that. So tell everybody what it is you are so passionate about. I would say the single thing that I'm passionate about are our kids um, and tapping the potential that they have inside of them, uh, finding what makes them tick um, and really empowering them to um, reveal that on their own. Um, from my experience, I've I've seen, and I work with inner city youth um, who have little opportunities available to them um, and don't show very much worth uh, that community has uh, necessarily uh, seen in them. And uh, they come to school, uh, if they come to school, um, there's just very little keeping them there, there's very little motivating them um, because what they see is that uh, if you get involved in other things, um, you can make a lot more money a lot faster and have no degree. Um, so it, it's a constant battle between um, trying to convince them that education really is power um, and that can bring them wealth if they so choose um, between that and, and uh, other alternative family structure like gangs and affiliations like that um, and other ways to make money that are not legal. So, um, you know, essentially I'm trying to prevent the school to prison pipeline from continuing in, in any way that I can. Where did this start for you? My desire to want to be a school leader started actually with uh, a principal um, that was the antecedent to, <laughs> to well, not the antecedent, but the um, the opposite of what I envisioned should be a principal. Um, and this particular leader led by fear and intimidation, and uh, we teachers were regularly yelled at um, during meetings and whatnot. And it was a very sad and uncomfortable situation. And I decided at that point I wanted to um, I wanted to be the opposite uh, that this principal was. And so I started my path to school leadership at that point. Um, at that time, I, I liked working with kids that were um, not 
work into their potential, so that had either special needs or were learning disabled or something along those lines. So I, I always enjoyed um, the challenge that that represented to me, and especially kids with behavior problems, actually. Um, <clears throat> I have lots of stories of, of different behaviors and you know, different incidents that went on uh, in my classroom or, or you know, near me. Um, and you know, most of the time was able to help them calm down and recenter and things like that. So I, I always enjoyed that part of it. Um, and as time went on, uh, when my wife and I moved up to Connecticut from Maryland, um, we centered on New Haven and um, that's where I started my career here. And at that point, things started to shift my understanding of uh, what urban and inner city youth uh, need uh, and, and uh, working with families who um, are uh, on welfare and um, receiving different government assistance. And so I started to see uh, the reality of, of working in an inner city. And um, slowly but surely, um, I realized all of my past experiences um, of traveling abroad and, and just doing different things like that kind of all came together. Um, and I saw the importance uh, of the work that needs to be done here. Um, and so, you know, the, the practical side of things is looking at uh, where I was and, and, and what I was doing in my school and, uh, with suspensions and things like that and how um, my team was able to decrease uh, in one particular school, uh, uh, the suspensions that we had. We went from one year having, having 87 suspensions down to zero. Um, we had uh, three or four years in a row where um, the suspensions were less than 10. And yet behaviors didn't, didn't uh, go crazy and um, we, we still had control of, of that part of it. Uh, but kids, I think, felt um, more comfortable and less stressed out. Um, and so the way we did that was essentially by um, incorporating more of a trauma-informed approach to our practices and providing some supports uh, for the kids who needed it. Um, and that seemed to be uh, the trick. And so all of those experiences kind of set me on the path of, um, of where I am now. What do you think your greatest challenge is connecting with these kids? Um, <clears throat> my greatest challenge right now is actually being a white male um, because uh, it, it comes with it advantages and opportunities that uh, the kids I work with uh, don't know. And so um, it's difficult for me coming from, I, I came from a working middle class background. My father is a, um, an electrical contractor and, and worked very hard. Uh, for our family. Um, and so, you know, I have experience with that and understanding how much work goes into being able to pay bills. Um, but I also had a lot of things handed to me. Um, and so my, my undergrad uh, for, for college was paid for and I went to a private school and I never had to worry about that. I never had to worry about food on my table or, uh, or water or heat or electric or anything being shut off, I never had those worries. Um, my parents didn't drive new cars, but we went on vacations and we went uh, around, you know, different countries and things like that. So I had a lot of privilege. Um, 
And so on one hand, that privilege um, helped me gain a better perspective on culture um, you know, by going to different countries. But on the other hand, um, I don't really know what it's like um, to be hungry. I don't really know what it's like to uh, not be able to pay bills. Um, and so that creates a, a bit of a roadblock with uh, my, my connecting to a lot of the kids with whom I work. Um, so, that, I mean, I have some strategies to overcome that, but, but that's, I think, uh, the biggest challenge. And I think the way that people view me walking into a, a school where there's a lot of kids of color and, and a lot of um, uh, Hispanic kids um, is that there isn't an immediate uh, cultural connection. And so I have to work very hard at building that. How do you do that? Um, <laughs> it takes time and, and it's, and it's very, uh, dependent upon the person. Um, I think with some kids I can, I can quickly gain, uh, um, a good rapport with them when they, when they see my interactions. Uh, but with most kids, I have to prove myself and, uh, I, I try to use humor in a way that works. Um, <clears throat> I try to use my own personal connections, um, to try to, find some common ground, uh, things that we're interested in. Um, but I also, and I think going back to the humor, I also embrace uh, some of the things that are, that are different. There are obvious differences that we have, but, um, but when we get to deeper conversations and when, when I help kids work through uh, problems that they may have, fights that they may get in, or issues at home or things like that, when they start to really see um, the true benefit of um, of us working together well uh, and getting through difficult situations, then we always come uh, out of those uh, experiences in, in a better way. Um, so when kids know that uh, they can get in trouble and I'll work with them and we'll deal with that and then we'll get through it and um, be better for it, then, then um, we've established a good rapport at that point. It's actually the kids that don't get in trouble that I don't see very often that it's more difficult for us to connect. Um, and so, you know, the only way that I can really do that is just uh, being visible in the halls and uh, saying good morning and making eye contact and, um, you know, just trying to make those connections, wor working at those connections. I know that this is a 24-7 battle and that you're super passionate about continuing to work at this. Mm -hmm. What do you think you've learned about yourself so far? Hmm, that's a good question. I've definitely learned that I can't do it alone in any sort of way. Um, and any school leader who attempts to do it alone or take all the recognition um, is, number one, missing the point. Um, and number two is not going to create a school um, that is going to be sustainable. And so what I am attempting to do is not be the, the hero um, in any one place. I don't want to be uh, the person that, um, that is sort of a, the cause of all of the, all of the changes. Um, what I want to do is empower 
uh, the people around me to, um, to do what they want to do and what they feel is best and to be treated as professionals um, so that new ideas can be developed and we can um, build on those and brainstorm together and create things that I never would have imagined. Um, that's more important to me because I've seen that you can create a more lasting and sustainable structure that way. Um, <clears throat> and one that if I pick up and leave, uh, will continue. Do you have a student who comes to mind when you think about, you know, why you are passionate about this or how you have Well, and the, yes. So the, for me, um, I mean, the, the sort of next frontier that I've been working on uh, for probably about seven years um, has been incorporating a trauma-informed practice within schools uh, and providing a, a therapeutic aspect uh, to discipline as opposed to just a punitive um, aspect. And so the, this one student um, was actually expelled from one of the schools in New Haven uh, and came to us um, I don't exactly know how that worked out in terms of <laughs> just leaving one school and coming to another, but in any case, he, he came to us. Very challenging um, kid to, to connect with. Um, and I, I was immediately drawn to him because I, I saw red flags right away about his interact and, uh, interacting um, with other students and the teachers. He was trying to make a name for himself right off the bat. Uh, we were a few months into the year, and as new students go, um, you know, one of one of two things usually happen. They're usually either very shy and just fading into the background. They don't want to be call attention to themselves, or uh, they want to make a name for themselves right off the bat. And if that means getting into a fight or um, you know punching the the most popular kid in the nose right off the bat, just to to be recognized or known, um, he, fat, he, he fit into the ladder. Um, and, and so right off the bat, I, I was having conversations with him and, and learning about um, him. And we connected quickly. Uh, and, I, and I don't exactly know why. Um, he didn't seem to connect with um, very many other people. And I got a whole long story, a whole long history of his life, and uh, that he was one of nine children, and that he had a cousin who was in the music industry and was making a lot of money and living in Manhattan, and um, another uh, sibling who um, was, uh, well, anyway, so a, a somewhat, uh, what seemed like a fictional kind of story. And so I, I took it with a grain of salt. I didn't really believe what he was saying, but I just went with it. And um, I was, you know, I kind of took notes as, as our different interactions went on over the course of a few weeks. Um, and eventually I learned that everything that he told me was legitimate. Um, and that he shared things that he never shared with anybody. And the, the mom, his mom was even surprised that certain things were shared. And I wasn't trying to have any sort of a counseling session with him. I really just, I just let him speak. And um, he knew that he could come into my office and, and unload if he needed to. And, um, 
and especially what I wanted to do was create a, a system where he had the opportunity to let go of uh, stress when he felt things were building up. Uh, so it would prevent him from attacking somebody. Um, and <clears throat> as his story goes on, he was uh, at my school um, for a period of probably about four months and um, things were going well. Things were um, getting better and better. We were getting him en enrolled in different things and um, uh, we were able to decrease the number of times where he was getting in trouble or mouthing off to a teacher or getting into a fight or whatever it was. Um, and then this one day, um, he didn't take advantage of connecting with me first. And um, I found out that there was some sort of a threat that was made uh, the day before um, and somebody was planning on fighting him. And as a result, I then heard from somebody else that uh, he may have brought in a weapon uh, to defend himself with. Um, and so I got that information quickly and that was good because of the structure that we had of information sharing. Uh, and so when I went into his science room, uh, there sitting out on the table was his knife. Um, no one in the classroom noticed. Um, and I do believe it was very much deliberate that he left it out. He wanted to be caught because he didn't want to have a confrontation. Um, and so I quickly grabbed the knife and I asked him to come with me, brought him down to the principal's office at the time. And this was unfortunately uh, in our system, um, it, 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 you have to report offenses like that. Uh, and because he was on um, probation from the last incident at his previous school, there was nothing that we could do. It was going to result in his expulsion. And when it became pretty clear, when the principal just flat out said, I, I have to expel you, um, he then went into uh, an episode that was uh, unlike anything that I'd seen from him. He tried to run out of the building. Um, I caught up to him and I was, uh, I was one of the, it's called physical management trained uh, uh, people in the building. And so um, I put him in a protective hold. Um, and <clears throat> that hold quickly became uh, more of an embrace in which we were really both crying. And uh, because <clears throat> from my perspective, um, I failed him. You know, my, from my perspective, I. I didn't catch it in time. Um, for some reason, you know, I, I didn't get the information quick enough or I didn't know that this threat was made the day before when it was made. Um, and I know that I could have just reached out and given, him a, you know, given his mother a call and just said, listen, I heard something was going on and I, I really want him to come to my room first thing in the morning and I, and I would have been able to uh, talk him down from um, getting to that level. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to do that. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, he was expelled and um, <clears throat> uh, that was really the, the last time that I, that I uh, saw him.
was was there, and I I, I don't have any sort of of uh, ending to the story uh, because I really don't know what happened to him. But I know that likely it's it, it's not a good thing. Um, and so that motivated me, you know, in two ways. Number one, um, I I. I don't want to feel that way again, you know, and, and again, I don't want to take on the lion's share of that situation. So I want more people to share in that to, to help prevent that from happening. But I also need to create um, uh, a sustainable way that we can work with kids, um, that all of us can work with, with kids that really need our help the most and um, prevent them from feeling like they have to use a knife to to def defend themselves or something along those lines. Um, so he definitely motivated me to want to get more into the, the trauma side of things. Um, you know what's really standing out for me is just how sometimes passion, right, can, can be so difficult, right? You know, usually in vast majority of people that we have spoken to about their passions have such a positive side. Mm -hmm. And I just, knowing being in a school system, you know, what your challenge is and how strong your intentions are, but also feeling, you know, that you're passionate about this, but it can also be so extremely difficult, like mm -hmm. hard, painful almost. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? It's all a balance. Um, I mean, just yesterday, we graduated four students uh, for, you know, at the end of our summer school program that uh, probably wouldn't have thought themselves that they were even going to graduate at all. And um, so as part of that graduation, and, I'm, and I was very happy that this tradition has carried on, um, we asked the students, we asked the graduates to write speeches. Um, and this is something that's afforded to summer school graduates that is not afforded to the typical graduate during the year. <clears throat> and the reason is that we wanted to take a summer graduation ceremony that is usually very small and somewhat um, transactional and make it something that um, you know, produces some tears in some ways. <laughs> in the everyday interactions, it's finding the, the humor in things and um, just being able to, uh, to laugh together and, um, and just make those connections. I, I think that's, that's what helps us all carry on uh, and helps, I know, the teachers show up um, to our difficult school every day and, um, yeah, it's, it's those relationships and, 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 and the happiness and the smiles and uh, the encouragement and the support, all of those types of things. And the car alarms, those are really important too. So Nicholas, the funny thing is about being on the road mm -hmm. and doing interviews all over the place, we come across the funniest challenges, like how <laughs> we were just in that beautiful studio uh, of the architecture, his great studio, and then the, the alarm starts going off right. down below us. So. Um, thank you so much for being flexible with us. Absolutely. But, you know, I wanted to ask you one more really important question mm -hmm. before we stopped our conversation today. And 
I know that you are passionate about what you're doing and that you're working with kids every day. And I, I worked with a lot of kids that you're talking about and I feel where you're at. And I, I just, I love it. Mm -hmm. And I want you to address them right now. And I, I want to know what you would tell them about pursuing a passion. Hmm. So the, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, <clears throat> that there's the cliche answer of figure out what you want to do without getting paid or without getting money for it and, uh, and do that and make that your, your lifelong goal. And for some reason that has, uh, that concept has never resonated with me and, and it, uh, it seems like a good idea, but I just, I, I think it, it, it fails to recognize something in human nature that is more organic. Um, so what I, what I truly believe in is uh, to tell kids to be open, um, to be open and embrace opportunity when it shows up. Um, because if we are looking for something specifically and we don't see it, then we're going to feel or, or we're going to believe that we failed in some way. Uh, but if we're more open-ended in terms of what um, possibilities exist, given what we have or um, or what things may be, then I think it, it leads to some creative pursuits. Um, and by that I mean when we go for a walk through a park, something may trigger what we want to do in, in that walk and uh, that could become a passion in that moment. Um, and especially in this day and age, Millennials uh, will go through many more career changes and, and job changes than, uh, than previous generations have ever had. And so they need to be able to um, weather the storm and, and, uh, and be okay with change uh, and, and really embrace it so that um, if their passions change, then, then they can adapt and they, and they should feel uh, encouraged and, and empowered to do so. Um, and so I think that usually applies to, uh, to the kids that I work with and when I talk to them, um, because a lot of them don't necessarily have much of an idea for what they want to do. And, um, and I think it's just important to acknowledge that and for them to just get started and, 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 and get going on what they um, uh, on, on what they perceive to be their next step um, and then let that evolve to what they're passionate about. And so, and that has, I guess, somewhat applied um, in my life. And, um, and one of the things that, uh, that I did in college uh, when I studied abroad was I uh, was on semester at sea. And uh, it, it gave me the opportunity to travel around the world on a ship and go to, go to 10 different countries and um, have some of the most amazing experiences that, um, that I could imagine. And one of the places, uh, it was Vietnam, one of the places I went to was an orphanage uh, for uh, kids who had hearing impairments and, and were mostly deaf. Um, and I remember the, the group of other college students that I was with and, uh, and, and a couple of the um, professors 
we're interacting with them and we quickly realize that we can interact with them better than uh, any of the other uh, Vietnamese people that we saw because there was a language barrier with, with the Vietnamese uh, speakers. And when we were interacting with the kids who couldn't hear, um, it was just all physical uh, body language. And so we just had this great moment of uh, creating ways to, to be competitive together. And so I started doing handstands and because this one other uh, little boy was doing handstands and they just thought it was the funniest thing that, that I could do these handstands. And so we were just sort of going back and forth in that way. And so um, at the time I, I was, uh, I had my current girlfriend who was now my wife, uh, but I was away from her during that whole trip, and that was, that was, that was the most difficult part of that trip. Um, and so I knew that when I returned and uh, she still wanted me and I still wanted her, <laughs> uh, that we were really destined to be together. And so that was a true test for our relationship. Um, and she is adopted. Uh, so there was this, this thread that uh, I think began at the orphanage and lasted uh, throughout my um, relationship uh, with my wife, and it led us to our understanding that we wanted to adopt uh, ourselves. And um, so, just recently, um, we adopted uh, a two-year—well, a 20-month-old a uh, from China. She's now two and a half. Um, with the understanding that we want to give her opportunities that she never would have had. Um, and at the same time, uh, selfishly to, um, to incorporate her life and her culture and um, her personality into our family and make our family more robust and, um, and well-rounded, I guess, is probably a better way to put it. Um, so we, we allowed that opportunity to um, evolve, and we allowed uh, the that goal to come from our love for one another, um, and, and and for our family, and um, with our biological children, and 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 I think so. In so doing, uh, because we just let it take its course, uh, and then we embraced it when it when it did come up. Um, our family is just, it, it's, it's, it's right. Um, it feels complete. It feels like uh, she was supposed to be with us forever. Um, and I look forward to uh, our lives together and, and I couldn't imagine us without her. Um, so that's what it's about. Because we didn't have a prescribed plan when we got married, and we weren't saying that well, we're going to have two biological children, and then we're going to adopt a third. And um, we let we let opportunity uh, present itself, and we took the opportunity when when it did, and and uh, it allowed our goals and our and our family and our lives to um, evolve in a way that made it amazing and continues to make it amazing. So we're very blessed. Um, and so what we're trying to instill in our children as well is to pass that on and to make sure that they are um, 
enjoying the things that they are passionate about and that are motivating them, whether it's a dance for my oldest um, uh, in art and climbing for my, for my uh, son uh, and who knows what for um, our, our newest edition. Well, and it seems like you're doing the same thing for the kids that you work with on a daily basis at, at school. So thank you so much for being a part of our road trip and for, my pleasure. you know, inspiring other people to live their passions. And, I, and I'm sure that you also raised a lot of awareness out there today. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I have come to be known as the 50 States in 90 Days Lady, a concept that is unfathomable to most. If you would like me to come speak at your event about how to envision, explore, and execute a plan, or how to create a life that is more exciting or more meaningful, you can find me at MotivateMePodcast.com. And the world keeps turning and I just keep moving along. Oh.